0: My name is Dr. Joanna Pagonas and welcome to Tackle Tuesday. Tackle Tuesday is a podcast series that tackles different issues in the workplace. We explore topics such as leading with emotion, diversity and inclusion, and how to create resilient and agile work cultures. Today's episode is sponsored by SinoGap Solutions. We work closely with emerging leaders to help you develop a clear vision of your authentic self, and to discover your passion and how it aligns with your purpose. Once you have a clear understanding of your purpose and vision for your future, you'll be able to discover your path for continuous growth along with the energy and enthusiasm necessary to sustain you during the most challenging moments in your life. We encourage you to visit our website at zinogapsolutions.com and explore the courses we offer that will help you develop the mindset, And capabilities to be an inspirational leader. Welcome, everyone, to Tackle Tuesday. I'm very excited to have on the show today two guests. Actually, this is the first time, no, I apologize. This is the second time that I'm doing a roundtable style of interview. Usually it's just me and a guest. Uh, but it's so much fun when I can actually talk with two people who are passionate about what they do. And I'm very excited to have Mohammed Anwar and Jeff Ma. Uh, they are the co-authors of the best-selling book, Love as a Business Strategy. Mohammed Anwar is the president and CEO of Softway and Culture Plus. And Jeff Ma is the host of the show, Love as a Business Strategy. Um, I'm so excited to have you both on the show. Welcome.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having us. Absolutely.
0: Hello, Jeff. So one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show is because I always talk about and teach to uh, how to lead through heart and purpose. And when I came across your podcast and your book, and I saw the word love integrated and aligned, like in the same sentence as business and strategy, I I wanted to connect with you both to learn a little bit more about that. Because when I think of the word heart, or, or, or love, I should say, when I think of the word love, and I try to come up with a visual image, it's usually a heart. And so sometimes I try to or I'm challenged sometimes I feel as though to explain the benefits of leading with heart. So who better than to talk to two people who are experts in love and heart and integrating into business. And so I didn't necessarily want to do a deep dive of your biographies because your biography is really linked to your origin story and what led you to discovering love and how to integrate it into business. And so, I thought it would be a lot more engaging for my listeners to hear it actually from you as to how did you how did you come across that and how did it actually lead you to not only writing a best-selling Book. I'd love to hear from you, Jeff. What what uh, led to the podcast? But also, Mohammed, your story about how it transformed your business, Softway. So, um, let's start with Mohammed.
1: Sure, no worries. So, uh, as you mentioned, I uh, own a company called Softway, a technology services company, which I founded when I was 20 years old, about 18 years ago, and in about running the company 10 years into the business, I believed that I had hit the pinnacle of success. I was, uh, you know, uh, leading the business very successfully with almost 300 employees. Um, I was driving my fancy cars, flying my planes and leading the life of an entrepreneur, especially as an immigrant to this country. It was, uh, it was an American dream for me. But two years after, uh, you know, I had, I believed I had hit the pinnacle of success. Our business in 2015 was on the verge of bankruptcy. We were, uh, about to lose the entire business. We were losing employees. We were losing clients and we just weren't able to sustain what we had built, uh, up until that point in time. It led to a point where I had to lay off almost a hundred employees, uh, in our, in our company. And I did so unfortunately in a very inhumane manner that I'm not very proud of. And as a result of that, I started becoming very introspective and starting to ask myself the questions as to why is this happening to me? And up until that point in time, I blamed everything except myself. But the truth was that this was all my fault. It was my selfish behaviors, my, um, you know, passion for greed, and money that led me to build an environment which was very toxic in nature from a cultural standpoint and nobody was putting their heart and soul into the workplace. So when I was very introspective in those two weeks leading after the layoffs, I had an opportunity to go to an American football game for my University of Houston alma mater. And in that game, at the stadium, we were losing by over 20 points going into the fourth quarter. And, um, you know, a part of me wanted to just leave the stadium because I was very disappointed. I really wanted something positive in my life, I felt like at the moment. And uh, something inside of me told me, stay back, watch, observe, and be there to support your team till the end. I'm glad I did that because I witnessed. a comeback a victory with less than 30 seconds left. We ended up winning that night with a point. And so I was incredibly inspired, rejuvenated, and I decided I'm going to go back Monday morning and I'm not going to give up on Softway and our team. I'm going to fight till the end. And on Monday morning, I happened to log on to the press conference of then coach, um, head coach of our football team to hear him out because I was so inspired by that win. And uh, his name is Tom Herman, and he was a first year rookie head coach. And he had just achieved so much of success with 10 victories and zero losses that season. So I was hearing him speak at the press conference. One of the reporters asked him what had led his team to not give up and be resilient and come out and win despite having 0.1% chance of winning that night. How did they pull this miraculous victory and comeback off? And he said, I attribute it all to the culture of love that our team has. And this is not the love as in love you, bro, love you, dog kind of love. This is a genuine love and care that our team has for one another, where you have my heart in your hands, kind of genuine love. And it was the love for one another that kept them on the field, not fighting for themselves, but fighting for each other and their teammates. And when you, are out on the field, not fighting for yourself, but for your brothers and each other, is when you build championship teams. You can have the best talented players on a football team, but if they don't love and support one another, you can never become a championship level team. So I heard all of this and my mind just went like in crazy directions. But one of the questions I asked myself was, do I love my team? at Softway? And the resounding answer was no. And so that day, I started my journey of aspiring to practice love in the workplace as inspired by a football team, which is the most masculine and aggressive sport you can think of. And in their locker room, they talk about love and support of one another. And so I was so inspired by that that I wanted to try and change my own behaviors to be a leader like Coach Tom Herman to not only love my team, but create a culture of love and support where everyone supports each other, cares for each other, looks out for one another, thereby trying to create um, an organization that is successful. And having to do that in three years, our company not only survived, but we thrived by tripling our revenue and making it the best, uh, results software has ever had in its history of 15 years. And we not only tripled the revenue, but we also increased our EBITDA differential by 42%. Um, and we did all of that with hundred less employees than we had to begin with. (laughs) So it was a true story and, uh, a lived experience that we all went through including Jeff through this journey where we began to try and focus a lot more on our culture our behaviors which ended up resulting in the success that we had at our own organization so that's kind of the that's how that's how I came across love and that's how we built a culture of love and since then we've been now offering this service for other organizations and including uh, writing a book and hosting a podcast to spread the message.
0: It makes me think I've been watching Ted Lasso on Apple TV. It kind of makes me think of that that story a little bit because, although I mean he, I think he leads his team in that way. That's a wonderful story. Thank you for sharing it. And and Jeff, how when and how did you join Mohammed and and Softway?
2: Yeah, so I've been through it all. Uh, I mean, not since he was. 20 and starting it in college, but, uh, I've been, with, I was in, in software uh, about a decade ago. And so through the software development, um, you know, as a, as a focus was when I joined and, and then coming through Muhammad's transformation and software's transformation now to culture plus, uh, I've been through all of it. And so for me, it's a very personal thing, you know, when Muhammad talks about the culture of love and the kind of the team that pulls through in the fourth quarter. Um, I experienced that not the football version, but the business version. Um, I was on that team. Um, and you know, I was one of the problem players. I was one of the people who, you know, um, contributed to the issues and had a lot of growing and learning to do myself. And I think, um, as we continued, um, working through the world of business, we found that the more we saw through, this lens, the more we saw that outside of our walls as well. Uh, Because really, um, I think you introduced us as like experts in this. And I kind of cringed at it because I'm like, actually, we've just made more mistakes than most. Um, And that's the reality of why we're here today. Uh, We find that every time we go in to talk about a website, um, we end up talking more about people and, and our behaviors. Every time we go in to build an app, we ended up talking about culture and we realized that, you know, this is where, um, our passion lies and we started melding the two. Right. And so that's been a big part of, of my journey. It's a very personal one where, you know, having seen, um, you know, what we call Muhammad 1.0, which is like his original version, um, that he, he didn't go into detail in his stories, but, Muhammad 1.0 combined with just the overall culture and the toxicity that was in Softway compared to what we now value most. We are far from perfect for sure today. Um, but what we value, what we really work on and strive for today is so different. And it's something that I'm so passionate about. It's become kind of not my work mission, but my life mission to uh, bring humanity back to the workplace alongside Muhammad and the other the others in 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 culture plus and software. So um yeah, you know, like you mentioned, the our biographies are very much tied to our origin stories and you know, while this is just the last kind of 10 years of my life, it really does define um what I really want to do. So that's my story.
0: Oh, I love that. The term expert, I know, it sometimes it can make me cringe, but I've redefined what expert is. And I think expert is somebody who is Kind of devoted their life to the study and the exploration and discovery a specific i'll say topic or philosophy, and they're committed to continually learning and diving deep into um, kind of like the the concepts and the practices of that 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 topic that that field of work or study and are committed to always admitting to the mistakes that they've made and always learning more because they know a better humanity. So by that definition, I would definitely say you are experts based on what you've just shared with me, like the vulnerability of admitting to mistakes and saying we're committed to always doing it better and learning. I'd like to ask you if you could share, if you would feel comfortable sharing some examples of... What were the behaviors that you gauged in that led to the toxicity, and then what were some of the behaviors that you did that started to get you out and transform from a toxic environment to one of love
1: and belonging sure uh, that's a great question um I'm happy to share a few of mine jeff i'm I'm hoping you'll <laughs> go for uh, it, <laughs> help me out and share a few as well uh but I would say one of the one of the things about me personally was um I was a person that did not forgive others very easily. If somebody made a mistake, I would for the rest of their careers with me, hold that against them. And I would um, not let it go. I would bring it to every meeting. I would bring it to every new project, every new situation. I keep reminding them of here's what you did wrong. Here's how you failed. Let me keep reminding you. And I would use that against them. And I was unable to let go. I was unable to forgive my peers, my coworkers, my teammates. And today, I would say that I'm, I'm not perfect at forgiving, but I think we've created an environment where I can forgive people for their mistakes and let alone also forgive myself for the mistakes that I make. And that has created an environment where people are not afraid, people are not fearful, people are willing to be wrong, willing to make mistakes and learn from it and carry on. And it had a lot to do with, as a CEO of the company, when I don't demonstrate forgiveness, then nobody else is going to do the same. And you've created this environment of fear and, you know, protectionism, and everybody's afraid of failing, everybody's afraid of making mistakes and and then my other peers do what exactly I did so if somebody makes a mistake they also hold it against them they use it against them they don't let them go on other projects they don't they don't let them learn and they put them in this like like prison and I had a lot to do with that as a leader of the company and so as one aspect of my transformation was I needed to learn to forgive and as I learned to forgive and forgive my leaders, my teammates, my coworkers, I saw them do the same. And through that we were able to spread an environment of vulnerability, spread an environment where people were willing to try, willing to give feedback, willing to share ideas. And as a result, we started to create an environment of innovation and learning. Instead of a, a culture of fear, it transformed to a culture of love. Uh, that's just one example. Uh, we, we, I'm sure we have lots, but that's one. I think that's, a, uh, that's not the typical behavior, but the one that I think, um, I feel like that's one that I still work on.
0: Okay, that's perfect because I think just from my experience working in a variety of organizations and at different levels and positions in the organization, unfortunately, what you shared is not something that I haven't experienced. I have experienced that type of leadership. But I've also seen when leaders, as you mentioned, demonstrate and display vulnerability and empathy, the role modeling, the power of role modeling. When somebody in a powerful position of authority and influence can do that, it's amazing how people will just really be drawn to that behavior and and automatically in a very short period of time, I think people start to feel safer. Sometimes what I, what I've noticed, and maybe you can relate to this is sometimes it doesn't take a whole behavioral shift to start to shift a culture. Sometimes it's doing one little thing different to allow people to feel safer. Agreed. Jeff, what about you?
1: Yeah, (laughs) Jeff.
2: I mean, it's funny and, (laughs) Not to jump ahead, but in our in our book, we talk about six pillars of love. And and this is something that we stumbled upon. And when you ask, like, what are some misbehaviors we've had in the past? You know, it feels like um, these six categories were born of our failure to do them, essentially. Um, Muhammad just covered for, uh, forgiveness. But I think each of us have very lengthy examples of ways that we've kind of, you know, let people down mistreated or, or kind of added to, um, hurtful cultures, I guess, through these, these other pillars. And the other ones are inclusion, empathy, trust, vulnerability, and empowerment along with the forgiveness that Muhammad mentioned for me. I think, um, I think empathy was a big challenge for me. Um, It still is, to be honest. And, you know, I was very selfish, very, very self-centered. And um, when I was in a leadership position, it was really more about what others could offer me in terms of results, more so how I could support or help them. And it's something that um, it showed in my behaviors in terms of when people would need help. It was more about, hey, just pick yourself up, get back to it. I would say things like, oh, I'm here for you. My door's open um, if you need anything, but nobody ever walked through my door because they knew what they would get on the other side, which was a whole lot of nothing. Um, so, um, just another example. I mean, I could go on, but the idea was that, you know, you know, we made a lot of mistakes and I think part of the the challenge of what we try to do with, for others and with others is that it's not, a, it's not this one kind of switch you can just flip and just a framework you can just roll out and everybody follow X, Y, Z and, and you're done. I think what Muhammad went through and then, sub, you know, subsequently like me and others followed suit, it requires an actual mindset change. It requires, like you mentioned, small things, but small things that lead to tangible changes of heart and changes of, of your mindset. And, and that's, for many, much harder to do than to just say, here are the three steps, right? To, to, to your solution. And so that's where, that's where I think talking about our old, um, mistakes is, is so important because a lot of people are making them now. We're still making them now. Uh, everybody and being able to kind of talk about that and say, Hey, we're not perfect. Leaders don't need to be perfect. In fact, we're we're just as human as anybody else, but we're kind of held to this standard that isn't somehow. That's where the magic starts happening. So I really I really appreciate that question because I think we all need to be talking about this uh, more and more often.
0: Have you ever heard of? Uh, well, thank you for sharing your story too, Jeff, and to you, Mohammed. Um, I hope that my listeners will just listen to that and give themselves the permission to process it and think about that. And I encourage them to think about a mistake that they've made that maybe didn't contribute to a positive, healthy culture. And what are some of the things that they can do right now to shift it? And I like the six pillars of love, of vulnerability. You talked about vulnerability and forgiveness. Um, I want to talk a little bit about inclusion and empathy. I feel like... And then empowerment. I love those three. I mean, obviously, vulnerability, forgiveness, and trust is like, to me, trust is the building block of all relationships. Without trust, you're constantly in a battle to try and prove yourself or validate who you are, or gain credibility on a continuous basis, which sometimes can be done through aggressiveness and and insecurity and doesn't lead Mm -hmm. to a positive culture. But when you lead through inclusion, empathy, I think it leads automatically to empowerment, so can you, I think, so, because empowerment and empathy and mm-hmm. inclusion are words that get used a lot, but I don't think yes. people understand them. And I'd almost like to start with empathy first, because I, I remember I was coaching someone and he said, uh, people think I'm not very, I don't, I'm not very empathetic. Mm-hmm. And I said, define empathy. And his definition of empathy was, I have, if somebody's crying, I have to cry too. Uh I have to have lived a moment in their shoes to really be empathetic to what they're going through. And I disagreed. So I wanted to get your thoughts on how do you what, how do you define and practice empathy? And then how does that lead to creating a workplace that's inclusive and where people can feel empowered? And I think that leads actually nicely to one of the questions I was thinking about asking you is like, well, how do you implement the six pillars of love in an effective and like in a very practical way? And I think by Answering my question, uh, it'll lead us naturally to that, right? So, yeah, let's start with empathy.
1: Sure. sure. I think your uh, your example was uh, a clear example of how there's a big misunderstanding what empathy means, and more so in a workplace. It's context matters, right? So, we believe that there are three types of managers. The first one is the apathetic manager, which is all about business and very less so about the person and so they're all about like hey whatever's going on in your life I don't care get the work done business outcomes is what matters period and then you have the sympathetic manager which is the manager that when people come and share their situation and their stories they cry with them they feel sorry for them um and that's it. They say, they're basically like, oh, you're you're in deep trouble. You have this personal problem. You have the situation. Well, I'm really sorry for you. And so I'll just take it on. I'll just do it myself. You don't need to worry about anything. I'll do, do it all. And, or they're like, sorry, but you know, I, that's it. Sorry. Wish you best of luck with taking care of yourself. And then there's the empathetic leader, which is where the empathetic leader comes in, tries to listen, understand the situation, but isn't really just going to say, I'm sorry for your situation, but they're going to make it a point to help the person through their situation, whether that's work-related and personal situation that might be impacting work. Okay, if you're struggling with this, how can I help you? What can I do? Let me actually show you how to get it done. So in this context, you're thinking of the business but you're thinking about business outcomes with the person in mind. And you're being empathetic to guide the person, to help the person through the situation that they're facing to achieve your business outcomes. And so that's the empathetic leader. And that's representative of a leader that operates in the culture of love. So this is just a very high level differentiation, very easy for people to get confused between sympathy and empathy. And we believe that, at a workplace, an empathetic leader makes sure they're thinking of the person while they're looking at the business outcomes. It doesn't have to be a polar opposite where if you're empathetic, you can achieve business outcomes
2: and, totally and I think ahead, one, one of the one of the common mistakes that people make when talking empathy is they they use that that phrase uh, put yourself in someone else's shoes and and that is the correct phrase for empathy. but the issue is a lot of people misinterpret that is put yourself in their situation which is, which is different. So if someone comes to you and is struggling, let's say, I mean, generically, they're trying to put together a presentation and they're behind and they can't figure it out. They're struggling when they come to you. If you just say, well, that presentation is not that hard that's not, I mean, if you put yourself in that situation, a presentation might not be a stressor for you, might not be difficult for you. Empathy is being able to put yourself in a situation that makes you feel that way as well, to understand what they must be going through with their struggles and their limitations. And so with Muhammad's example of like, this is where we struggle with, okay, well, you know, that's just a presentation. Don't worry about it. Apathy. Or you know what? I'll just do it. Sympathy, where empathy is really understanding. Hey, this person is trying trying their best to succeed. That they have. This is what they have writing writing on the line, and getting getting down and dirty with them. It, it, a lot of times, I like to use like the parenting analogy. If your if your kid comes to you with struggling with homework, you know what? You know, not judging, but what parent would come and just say, "Oh, like, just don't do the homework." You know, don't. You know, if it's too hard, forget it. Just put it away. You know, or Or what parent also says, you know, deal with it, suck it up, just keep trying. No, you sit down and you walk them, you try to understand which part of that homework is they're struggling with, what part they don't understand and helping them work through it, right? And that's the best analogy you can have for actually really understanding empathy, especially in the workplace.
0: How does then, in a practical way, if you can give me a concrete example, when you can lead as an empathy? Empathetic leader slash manager. How does that lead to creating or contribute to an inclusive workplace? Because diversity, equity, inclusion, are really the focal point of this year and last year, but where I see a lot of people struggling and where I get so disappointed is it's all focused around unconscious bias training. That's a good Mm -hmm. start, but in practice, it goes beyond that. So when you talk about being an empathetic leader, how does, how can you give a concrete example of how that can go, how can that contribute to an inclusive workplace?
1: Sure. So I think one of the one of the problems with, uh, you know, and it, it stems from inclusion with empathy is that we try to teach inclusion in non-empathetic manners. <laughs> we try to teach them through data and numbers and metrics and unconscious bias or legal and compliance training, which is nothing, nothing that speaks of empathy. No, no training out there is trying to get people to understand the empathic situation of the person's lived experience, right? So the key that we approach is we like to bring about social awareness through empathic storytelling. When I am able to hear a single mom who has three kids trying to raise their children with school, you know, school from home while trying to work from home at the same time and understanding their struggles and hearing their struggles, hearing their story, trying to connect with them from an empathic level is when I truly am able to appreciate the diverse uh situation that, uh, you know, the single mom is bringing and how can I help? But if our understanding is, oh, well, you have unconscious bias, you are probably biased against women or people of color, and so on and so forth. It's coming from a a point of, polarization, which is like accusing you or making you feel like you're guilty for something you may not be aware of. And it comes from a lens of uh, like distancing you instead of me learning more genuinely in in, in a caring manner and affectionate manner about the situation of someone who doesn't look like me or isn't in a situation like me. uh, Our approach in today's corporate environment is, I think, flawed. And so we believe that the best way to really build, um, understanding of inclusion and diversity is through love. And by love, we mean having an empathic connection and understanding to people's situations and lived experiences, because you can't love someone once you know their story. That's what the famous uh, saying of the Nemo, finding Nemo's director is like, you can't love someone once you know their story. So. Our belief is once you understand people's story, their situation, their lived experiences, we're human. We are going to empathize. We are going to connect with them. And when we have more appreciation for those that don't remind us of ourselves, then and only then can you truly begin to understand how to be inclusive. And uh, there's another principle we follow, and I'll let Jeff explain the platinum rule uh, that might also give
2: a little bit more context to this, <laughs> Jeff. <laughs> Just teeing me up over here. I was about to cut in with that anyways. Uh, the platinum rule is something that we are <laughs> always talking about. It's it's um one of our favorite uh, kind of aha moments for people because I think uh, many of us were raised uh, with the golden rule. I think um, most people are familiar with the golden rule, which is you know treat others the way that you'd want to be treated. You're taught as a young child, like, oh, that makes sense. Um, unfortunately that sucks. I think that the rule is terrible. Um, not everybody wants to be treated the same way. Nobody wants, not everybody wants to be treated the way you want to be treated. So the platinum rule is to treat others the way they would want to be treated. And that requires, of course, empathy. So it can be something as small as, you know, when you enter a room, you know, it doesn't matter if you think it's hot or it's cold. What do other people think of the temperature of the room? It's just little things like that, is actually practicing empathy. You mentioned small things earlier. I mean, that, that's just an example of where empathy can play. People think empathy has to be this big emotional kind of like, oh, they're crying. So let me like get really like, no, like empathy just comes in considering and asking and figuring out and hearing what other people actually go through, large or small, right? And I think um, like Muhammad mentioned before, Inclusion has become treated as the problem and the problem statement and the the starting point where it's like, let's fix inclusion. So here's all this education around bias and things like that. When really many times businesses and people in general have empathy problem, have an empathy problem, not an inclusion problem. If you solve the empathy problem, inclusion problem becomes much easier to solve because when you're able to have the mindset to actually engage with people and understand, and hear their story. Now you're practicing empathy and inclusion. Just it comes so easily after that, because now you're able to connect and see humans for what they are and not for their, just their differences, but accepting differences and actually adapting to differences. Like these types of things start coming when you practice empathy. So it's, it's all interconnected, right? Uh, Along with the other pillars is what we believe. Um, So, so yeah.
0: How does all of that lead to empowerment? How do you define empowerment and how does um, empathy creating, this is the saying of the year, creating a space, (laughs) creating a space for someone to be listened to, to share their circumstances, their situation. How does that lead to an employee feeling empowered? So how do you define it and how does it lead to empowerment?
1: Sure. So uh, essentially, when you look at all of these other pillars, which are all important, Uh, the six pillars, we believe that they're like the cylinders of a uh, six-cylinder engine. They all have to fire at the right time in harmony and in sequence in order to produce high performance. And we believe when you are able to empower people the right way, you get high-performing teams and high-performing organizations. And so we believe when you have an inclusive environment where people are able to Um, not be just included because of their differences, but are actually given the opportunity to be included because of even diverse perspectives, diverse thoughts, and diverse opinions. And you're including them not just because of the physical identity, but all of it together. Then you are able to create an environment where um, everyone is truly included, has a seat and voice at the table to make an impact and a difference then you have empathy. Empathy, we just defined it so much. It's about practicing it with everyone, not just the ones you identify with, but everyone. Third is vulnerability, which is being able to come in and, you know, own up to your mistakes and or be willing to be wrong. As simple as that, not meaning share your deepest, darkest secrets, but just being able to say, you know what, I apologize, I messed up. Fourth is trust, where we must start with trust but not from a place of predictive trust, but from a place of vulnerable trust, where we are not just looking at people and trusting them. Oh, I just trust you to this extent. It's about trusting the intent of your coworkers unconditionally. Then the fifth is empowerment, which is where you empower people from a place of vulnerability based trust. You don't need to have seen someone do something before you empower them. You empower them knowing that they may not have ever done it before, but I still trust your intent that you will do your best to get the best outcome. And when you empower someone from that place of vulnerable trust, people who get empowered are going to go above and beyond to make sure they don't disappoint the very person that has entrusted them, instead of from a place of fear. And then lastly, when you have an environment of forgiveness, where you're able to forgive one another, because we hurt each other intentionally, unintentionally, and you put all of this together, you create an environment where people are able to bring their full self, be themselves, be able to give ideas, share ideas, feel respected, feel valued, feel included, and they're able to give feedback, receive feedback freely you create an environment of high performance and empowerment. And that's when people feel empowered, genuinely are able to take ownership, are able to contribute and all of the above. So all of these pillars, which are the culture pillar, uh, behavior pillars are important to come in that right synchronous manner to enhance, uh, you know, empowerment as a whole or high performance.
0: And like you said, when they make a mistake, inevitably, when you try something new, you've been empowered or given permission to try something new, you may make a mistake. It almost brings us back full circle, Mohammed, when you talked about um, some of the behaviors you engaged in that contributed to a toxic environment, holding things against people, not being able to forgive. It brings us back to that. If you're going to empower somebody… And they don't do it perfectly, or the way you think it should be done. You still demonstrate empathy, understanding, patience, and you have to support people in their failures as much as you do in their successes.
1: So that's great. Absolutely.
0: What? So you talked a little bit, Mohammed, about, you know, I was hearing you at the tail end of what you were saying, talking about the return on investment. And um, mm. so what's in it for... So. I mean, anybody who's listened to what you and Jeff have spoken th- about thus far, for me, I'm like sold. I would want to start to do Im- implement the six pillars of love into my workplace. But there may still some be some people on the fence. Like, you know, there are some multi-billion dollar companies out there and some of them are really, you know, we're, we're, we're recording this in mid-October. And so what's going on in the news right now is uh Facebook and some of the things that they're doing and whether you you know, the evidence for or against, but regardless of that, some of the argument there is um, that they're putting people at harm, right? Profits mm-hmm. before people. Uh, and you see these companies making billions of dollars. So what is, what's the return on investment for me to do anything differently?
1: Mm-hmm. So I believe that while you can have short-term strategies and solutions to bring in profits over people, they are not sustainable. And if anything, this post-pandemic world has demonstrated is that people are now willing to take a chance and leave and quit. And we're going through what is called the great resignation. And people are willing to say, you know what? Enough is enough. I don't need to work for an organization that does not align to my purpose and my values. And I do not need to go to a work environment where I do not feel respected or included. And people are willing to resign even before finding another job. And today there's a shortage of workforce and labor force in the marketplace. And, uh, you know, up to 50% of the population is looking to switch jobs this year in 2021, at least in the United States. And that's a testament to say, hey, the way we've been operating with our strategic plans of short-term goals of increasing profit over people, well, people aren't gonna put up with it anymore. (laughs) We have to ensure that we are able to build sustainable strategies and solutions to make sure people and profit can be uh, at the top of the pyramid. In fact, organizations like Southwest Airlines and others have proven that when they put the people at the pyramid, then those employees and people take care of their customers and their customers are taken care of, then it takes care of your profits and your profits are taken care of, shareholders get taken care of. It's the opposite to what traditional corporations are doing. And they proved that through the pandemic, you know they had had 49 years of continuous uh profitable years with not a single lossy year unlike their competitors but also uh, post pandemic or into 2021 they were the first airlines to declare a profit in in the first quarter of 2021 and they never went through layoffs and that is an organization that's uh, symbol is LUV in the stock exchange. <laughs> their head, uh, head hub is the Dallas love field and they have hearts painted all over their planes. So if there isn't a fortune company that hasn't proven that culture of love can be at the center of the business strategy, such as Southwest Airlines, then I don't know what else to uh, represent as an example of such. So I believe that you can have profit and people uh, at the top of the pyramid, and achieve both it doesn't have to be an either or. I think that's the mindset problem and once we are able to address that and fix it, you can have sustainable um solutions to your profit like Southwest Airlines that for almost five decades they had a profitable year after year so
0: and I think the key word there too is sustainability. You know we talked about mm-hmm. doing little things, but consistently. To maintain sustainability is what's going to get you to start shifting your culture and then maintaining that level of uh, inclusion, empathy, empowerment, trust, and the other pillars that you talked about excellent and you said hearts right they have hearts yes. all over their planes remember i said when i think of the yes. word love the image is a heart and it's leading through heart and purpose what led you to writing the book both of you because there's also a third author correct who's not with us today uh there's right four, correct there's four actually there's four, four. four yeah, yeah. <laughs> who, who are the four other, so you're two out of the four who are the other two authors what led you to writing a book and how do you write a book with four authors mm.
1: Jeff, I'll let you take this one. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the other authors are Chris Petrie and Frank Dana. Uh, the four of us kind of make up this kind of like, I guess, like culture um, tag team that we've been going through this journey together um, through Softway. We all, we all work together at Softway um, in different positions, different roles. But um, we we grew very close through the, the journey and the experience. Um, and we all have our own kind of path through it. And, um, as we continue, like I mentioned, meeting with people and finding that our discussion and by your definition, our expertise kind of goes in this direction. Um, we were like, man, we have a lot to say about this. And we've always joked about writing a book because software as a story alone could fill a book. Cause we were just like, we've gone through so much ups, downs, crazy things. Um, but when it came, but, um, when it came time to kind of Um, kind of put our money where our mouth was. We're like, you know, we want to go about this mission of truly um, going out in the world, making a difference and really starting to, you know, talk to people in real ways and help people in real ways around culture change and around what we believe in. As we develop these pillars and deal with these, we're like, this is important. And we felt like it needed to be heard in the scene. So we started um, the book and the podcast, all these efforts, like really all of this came from, really wanting to get our message out in the world and connecting with people as a means to really start having these conversations. Because part of the reason this work is hard is because it requires real conversation. It requires connection. Um, um, and we try to write the book in a way that um, simulated that the best way possible. It's, it's a book filled with our stories um, it, it tries not to be, and, and tell me if it is, but try, it tries not to be too preachy. It tries not to come and say, here's the right way to do things. Um, it really is more about, here's, here's what we did. Here's what we tried. Here's where we failed for sure. Um, many, many failures in there, but also how we tried to bounce back from it. What we, what we changed and we try to kind of shortcut all that for people. Like you don't have to go through as much heartache as we did to, to to get moving on your on your transformation or your journey, so that was the impetus for the book. We felt like these are all the things that we would tell anybody who came to us and said, "Hey, what did you guys go through, and where can I find myself in that?" Well, you know, we try to cram it all into the pages of this book so that you can have it.
0: Do you think you'll write another book?
2: Well, I guess this kind of goes to your your question of how do you write a book with four authors? Um, we we walked we walked into this kind of being like. I have no idea how we're going to do this. And it, and it turned out to be an amazing experience, to be honest. I mean, I'll speak for all of us, but we, we, we always joke about how um, it was supposedly supposed to be this big daunting thing, but we, we had to do it outside of work hours. So we were doing it in our nights and in our weekends and we were just meeting and um, it was all remote because it was, you know, written during a pandemic essentially. Um, But it was, it was an amazing experience to, so I, I grew closer to Muhammad, Chris, and Frank, and, and I'll speak for myself at this point. Um, it was not hard. It was basically, we all found that we had exactly the right words for what we wanted to say. And we never really argued about what went in and what didn't, it was, it was, it was a great experience. So, um. I don't know if that's always the case, but I think to me, it's, it's a t- for others, but I think it's a testament to the culture that we're, we're trying to talk about because I think we, we leveraged all six of those pillars to write this book. We had to have a lot of empathy for each other. We had to have some forgiveness. Um, um, all those things. And so we, it was great. It was a trip down memory lane. Um, and I would love to do that again. Um, now I don't know about the sheer number of hours that we'd have put into it, but that's another, that's another part of the equation. So
0: yeah. You know, uh, like you said, it wasn't necess- It was a soul gratifying, is what I'm hearing, mm-hmm. but challenging, right? But it's, yes. I think it's those challenges that can bring people closer together. Conflict, for me, and the way I studied it and learned it and practiced it, was you can't truly have um, like an, a truly open relationship. It's truly built on trust. If you don't go through some kind of challenge together or conflict and the way you go through the conflict doesn't have to be a terrible experience. Um, It's basically a disagreement that people have in the direction that need to go. And, but if they're both passionate about the outcome and they understand what the outcome is, they'll find a way through it. When, when you get to the other side, my own experiences, I found that I was so much more connected to this person and I'm hearing that's what you went through Mm -hmm. the four of you together writing this book.
2: And, yep. and you can't, you can't put a price tag on, um, those moments that we continue to share where, you know, uh, Chris might come back and say, Hey, I shared the book with this person and this is the feedback they gave me This is what they said. And people are coming back with, you know, this story meant this to me and, and this, I saw myself in this piece. And, you know, those moments are exactly why we wrote the book. And so we get to share that together, the four of us being able to celebrate those little victories. Cause that's really what it's all about. So is amazing.
0: Yeah, celebrating the victories, I think, is we have to do that periodically, especially over the last 18 months that we've had. A lot of challenging yeah. moments, but I'm sure a lot of victories too, and we just need to recognize that in ourselves and others. Yeah. So tell me about, as we near the end of our conversation, you talked a little bit about Culture Plus. What is Culture Plus and how is it different than your, 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 your actual company?
1: Sure. So as I mentioned, Softway was the company that um founded 18 years ago it was a it's a technology services company but as we were going through our own transformation we recognized that we needed to change our culture to make our organization high performing and successful and uh it started to work so well that our customers our largest fortune 10 customer in town uh came to us and uh said hey Mohammed." um we really like how your team behaves and acts and how they've changed. You've been a long time partner for us, but we saw a recent transformation and your products, your quality, your services all went up. And we'd love to have that for ourselves. We'd love to institute a culture like you guys in our organization. Granted, we're like a 200 employee organization and this, just this division is 10,000 employees. And they said, we'd like you to help us transform our culture. And I was like, well, wait a minute. Um, we're a technology services digital agency. We're not a culture company. And they're like, we know that. We don't want to go to the Mackenzie or the Deloitte or the big four consulting firms. We've tried them before. Um, it doesn't stick. It doesn't work. Uh, we want to try something really different. And we believe your team has demonstrated in action what it means to have a culture like yours. So we'd like for you to try and help us with our culture. So we took on this challenge. We did a pilot. It was extremely successful. And the next thing you know, they awarded us a contract to travel the whole world and go help train 1,200 leaders across 10 different locations in the world where people flew in from 46 different countries. And we started preaching about the culture of love and how we should lead with love. And uh, then we had a whole culture transformation program for the entire 10,000 employee unit. And this all started in 2018. And so as a result, we have found our new calling, which was, hey, we found a new purpose. we should be bringing back humanity to the workplace. So as a way to pursue our mission and vision, we wanted to um, set out a company called Culture Plus, which offers culture as a service, which helps organizations looking to improve their culture to make it a competitive advantage, to build high-performing or high-reliability organizations. Uh, We wanted to have a separate entity. And we leverage our technology uh, capabilities and our lived experiences to help provide culture as a service. So we have a suite of facilitated experiences where we come up there as facilitators and share our lived experiences and take leaders and organizations, individuals through introspective journeys to build self-awareness and commitment to transform. Then we hand them off with a suite of digital products which we built, which helps sustain those behavior transformation journey in a self-paced manner. So together with our lived experience and our technology background, we started to um, offer culture as a service through the organization called Culture Plus. So that's the story of Culture Plus.
0: God, that's brilliant.
1: Yes, thank you.
0: Does the the tech uh, have anything to do with maybe kind of reinforcing behaviors in some way?
1: Yes, exactly. So we tried to use... Go ahead Jeff you want to address that. Yeah yeah
2: yeah like the technology is built again from what we would want to do to coach people through if but we can't be there. So to scale it the the apps and the technologies are all built to in ways that'll make sure that these people have a way to be almost coached through the next step, right? Because as we come in and kind of initiate people with these conversations, what we're really talking about is is mindsets, changes of heart, right? Kind of understanding seeing the world a little bit differently, seeing themselves differently changing that self-awareness piece um but it's just a start and so what really what really matters is how do you move from there how do you practice and how do you get better um and so that's a, a challenge for a lot of people sometimes that first step is not enough to push and motivate people all the way through especially when you leave it going back to calendars that are still completely full email boxes that are overflowing um all that you just kind of go back to the to the grind and so We are looking for ways to make sure that people have ways to not just um, keep learning and keep growing and keep top of mind, but actually to practice. So we believe in uh, what we call micro commitments, which is um, these, you know, commitments is very heavy. It's like it requires you to block off time. But micro commitments are things that are just so small, like you mentioned earlier, the small steps um, that can make a big, big difference. And so we use our kind of products to enforce these things in, in daily life and almost like, you know, an app you might use to um, help you work out, you know, if you want to build muscle or get fit, um, this is that, but for your heart. So that's kind of what we do um, with our suite of products amongst other things, including, sorry, Mohammed, you can fill in the blanks because we have other products as well. I'm biased to one of them. Okay. Um,
1: yes. Yes.
0: Oh, I love it. And Mohammed, did you want to add to what Jeff said?
1: No, I I think he he summarized it pretty well. And if you want to learn, uh, go to culture-plus.com or culture-plus.com. And we have a suite of our services and products available there for you to learn more about.
0: Perfect. And I'm going to put all the links in the show notes. So if they want to... Uh, just with a cl- click of a, a button, right? They can just access your services, your website, and learn more about you. And obviously, your book is available on Amazon, correct? They can yes. they can purchase it there as well. Yes. Well, thank you so much for. Being on Tackle Tuesday, it was an absolute pleasure to talk to you both and learn a little bit more about your story. What led you to writing the book, the podcast, transforming software, and eventually leading Culture Plus? I congratulations on Culture Plus. I have no doubt it'll be, you know, very successful and and will really help organizations transform their cultures. For some reason, I I see in your future you leading hosting a conference of some kind. Culture plus conference. It just has a nice ring to it. I like the idea. (laughs) Yeah, let's do it. Let's start planning. (laughs) Start planning it. And if you're ever looking for other people to come and talk, let me know because, oh, I would love to be even just in the room to be a part of something like that. I think it would be amazing. Very, very energizing, I would think. So thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you to Mohammed Anwar and Jeff Ma, the co-authors of uh, Love as a Business Strategy. I highly recommend you buy the book. You listen to their podcast, check out their website. I, and I will I, I will say it again, I feel like you're true experts in your field. you're committed and devoted and passionate about love in as a, as a business strategy and and using it and having it lead how you transform your cultures and and I just like from one professional to another who's also passionate about this I'd like to thank you for doing that.
2: Well, thank you Thank
1: you you're
0: welcome. So thank you everyone for listening to this week's episode or this month's episode I should say of Tackle Tuesday. And I look forward to tackling the next issue with you.